Good evening, everybody, and welcome to our second pilot of the Animalitia podcast. I'm Ben here tonight with Ian. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ian, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fantastic. I'm uh, nice and uh, a little wet. Just got done raining here. Yeah, we got some uh, torrential rain here. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Florida in a way. A little bit. Kind of came out of nowhere. That's uh, the Florida part about it, is you didn't see it coming. But uh, on the plus side, it also was not like Florida because no crackheads jumped out of the rain and tried to stab us with a screwdriver or anything of that nature. And people use their blinkers while they're driving. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that also doesn't happen often anywhere here. Yeah, yeah. An- anywhere really yeah <laughs> it's, a, it's a dying habit that that level level of stupidity is not exclusive to, to florida <laughs> or florida man exactly yeah um <clears throat> well i have something i want to talk about that came up today and i feel pretty cool about this so i woke up this morning and i've only run our page the animalitia entertainment page for a few months now but I got the second piece of hate mail this morning, <laughs> and that makes me feel really good. Oh, boy. <laughs> Do tell. Well, so, like, if people are engaging with you enough to the point where you have haters, I think you're on the right track, right? Am right. I wrong on that? No, not at all. I think I think you're finally developing a full audience because you can't just have one-sided stories here. You have to have both sides of the spectrum. All right, so <clears throat> I'll explain the context a little bit. I made a dumbass like meme. Um, it was pretty funny. I mean, I liked it. I laughed. But uh, so I was thinking one night, I was at work and I was seeing all this stupid Toy Story shit. And I'm like, man, when is this franchise going to die? They're just milking it. Like, there's a character named Forky, and it's a fork <laughs> with a face on it. Like, what it, the fuck? He's supposed to uh, He's supposed to be, like, a little bit... Uh, isn't he something to do with, like, uh, disabilities now or something? They're really trying to reach out to different audiences now. So Forky was invented for that. Sure. <laughs> that or someone was running out of ideas. <laughs> but Here's a plastic fork. <laughs> But I'm sure that Forky lined someone's pockets with a lot of money. Oh, yeah, so it looked amazing. Who am I Who am I to judge? So anyways, I digress. So I'm thinking, like, hey, Toy Story 4 and Chucky come out on the same weekend, right? That's kind of crazy. And then I was thinking about it, and I'm like, what if both those franchises were combined into one film where Chucky was, like, out to get the toys from Toy Story? This is the type of shit I think of. And I kind of laughed, so I went on Google and I was like, God, I hope someone somewhere in the world has photoshopped this and created this image so that I don't have to learn how to do Photoshop well and do it myself. And sure enough, the internet succeeded and uh, an awesome person has created this. So you've got Chucky and he's edited, so he's in that CGI Pixar look right and he's standing and he's holding his you know his infamous uh butcher knife and then all the toy story characters in the are in the background like hiding in the corner (laughs) and i'm like yes this is awesome hilarious so um so i took this and i made my own little thing and i said hey um i'm excited for toy story 4 who else is looking forward? This could be the final chapter. 
should you know? be the final chapter. <laughs> this should be the final chapter. As it's got Chucky holding a knife and they're all hiding from him. <laughs> so, I mean, this kind of went a little viral. Like, Is, is the just, post still up now? Mm-hmm. Can they go see it? Yeah, it's somewhere. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it was shared like 11,000 times. Like 3,000 people have engaged with it. So anyways, so someone commented on this this morning and this, you know, this image of Chucky in the cast of Toy Story. And uh, this guy says, hey, um, this is traumatizing and disturbing for children. Not cool. (laughs) Wait, hold on. Let's unpack this really quick. He... uh he does realize that, like, like you set your Facebook page, like the actual Animalish Entertainment page, to adults, like it's adult content, right? Like it's thematically, like it 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 explicitly describes that it is adult content, such as horror, like so, thematic stuff. So the very first thing you see is a photo of me covered in blood. <laughs> That's my profile picture. We need to do some more photo shoots, and our slogan is here to tell stories and make brutal films. So at no point was this company or this page meant to be targeted towards children. So tell your kids to get off your iPhone. <laughs> if you can't do that, I mean, I, I don't know, unsupervised children, like the Internet's kind of a fucked up place. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. So, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I agree with them. It's, it's not meant for children. So, so did you respond to him at all? <laughs> so... I actually did, and I was pretty chill about it, but uh, I commented and I said, I agree with you, children shouldn't see this material. However, I think there's also a lot of material Disney releases that is twisted for children to see as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he liked it, and he said, I agree with you. (laughs) So... (laughs) So look, like you made a uh, you made a, a follower out of an enemy. Yeah, for today. <laughs> <laughs> Until the next one comes along tomorrow and uh, has some more poking to do. Yeah, so that was <clears throat> only my second hater. The first one, I, I told you this, but oh, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you again. Oh yeah. Um, same post and whatever. Like a lot of people engaged with this, and. This guy commented, I think he's from Chicago, and he said, uh, you're out there promoting the devil's work, not cool. Yep. Or something like that. Or no, he said it was lame. He said, you're out there promoting the devil's work, stop being lame. <laughs> so this guy, you go to his page. So hold on. Give him a little hold bit. Hold on. Okay, okay. First of all, where did you and I go last night? Church. <laughs> we went to church. True story. Um... Again, this is this is a picture. It's meant to be funny. It's a meme. Get over yourself. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you, man. I uh, I don't think sharing a meme is uh, makes me a bad person. But gosh, if that was the case, I think uh, I think we would need to look, like take a look in the mirror because we all share memes that in some way can offend someone i've definitely seen worse ones (laughs) exactly oh gosh with everything that's going on right now you think that there would be like a little bit more leniency on your post like my god (laughs) like this is meant as an escape like people can gravitate towards this stuff and have a dumb little chuckle over it right exactly they they should be able to so anyways 
So I'm curious. I'm this was my first hater, so like I was very excited. I was like, <laughs> oh man, who is this guy? Like this just fueled you. This just yeah. gave you energy. Like maybe he's someone important, and like <laughs> I'm gonna have more people disliking me. <laughs> um, so I go to his page, and he's like, I don't know if he does his own rap or if he was just promoting it, but he's promoting this awful hood shit. <laughs> like he's money and like you know bitch this hold that all all that all those generic tropes and it's like so i'm out here doing the devil's work but you're promoting um you know objectifying drug use yeah, and all pro, this yeah. yeah drug use money materialism corporatism objectifying women and like i'm out here promoting like the devil here because of <laughs> because a toy held a knife and there are some other toys in the background <laughs> hiding from the toy with the knife which is funny because it's their toys. There comes a point where <laughs> jokes no longer appear as jokes. Everything comes off as just an insult. Everything comes off as an attack. And some people just don't know how to turn that switch off. Yeah. But, uh, so anyways, that was a, that's a fun thing to wake up to today. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we'll get somewhere and next week more people will hate me. Gosh, I'm hoping that we get some crazy people here. You know, well, what I honestly have always been hoping for is, you know, government attention such as like, you know, like, oh, you you are talking too much about Area 51. You need to, you know, can it and put a put a sock in it or something. Yeah, um, that would be something else. Yeah, a little, <clears throat> little too much exposure here. So I wanted to ask you some stuff. So correct me if I'm wrong. Um you are an employee of the WWE, correct? Correct. Still am, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, I'm marking out for that. I'm a huge wrestling nerd, anybody who knows me. That is true. Um, yeah, talk about that a little bit. Talk about NXT and what your experience was like Gosh, working so, those shows. <laughs> this is coming from someone. It's, it's really funny and actually a little scary to be sitting next to a huge wrestling fan and... I myself not having any interest in the sport and the you know event itself. I um I kind of got into it through the school that I went to for film and uh, we they they hire the students there and they allow them to work as production assistants and kind of work their way up and uh, if you graduate they'll of course offer you job opportunities and whatnot. But it was a really great opportunity for me to kind of get my foot into production and uh, just well live production, live events and whatnot, and really see kind of what that's all about. Uh, I I always thought going into this that I was actually going to learn the truth behind WWE and be like, "Oh, see, look, they all fake their moves. They don't uh they don't actually hurt, like hurt each other." I cannot be more brutally honest with you than I'm about to be when I say they get hurt. Like they get hurt and it's not easy. I think that they condition themselves to the point where they don't really feel anything or react as badly to what's going on because of what they do and how often they do it. Um, so what I, what I did with WWE was I did a, um, post vignette photography setup. So after the wrestling events, we would go photograph the wrestlers on this vignette backdrop and kind of use those photographs for magazine covers, video games, uh, like merchandise. So like if you have a WWE shirt with like Aleister Black on it, it's probably something that we photographed. Um, but it, it was a really cool experience. Got to meet a lot of cool wrestlers and got to see a lot of really fun people. Um, I think, I think uh, one of my favorite stories to tell, and I've told I've told you this a few times, is 
um, the bathroom story. And uh, y- you are you can already tell where this is going. Knowing that <laughs> these guys are like six foot tall and jacked, and they're like, well, what does that have to do with the bathroom? Well, I I am to give you perspective here, like five eleven and scrawny as shit, just a twig, and that's fine. You know, everyone's different, and that is that is <laughs> fine. So I'm in the bathroom here. And I'm washing my hands, and I uh, was just kind of keeping to myself. And I noticed that there's four other people, one on my left, two on my right, and one guy uh, way down on the right at the sink here. But I'm the only person out of all four of these people using the sink, actually running water. And I uh, I didn't want to, like, be intrusive and look because it is the bathroom. You know, it's, it's don't do that. But I looked to my left... And I see this six foot four tall giant African American dude in panties and big black <laughs> leather boots, and he's flexing and he's looking at himself in the mirror and he's just grunting, just uh, uh, uh. and then occasionally, you know, like there'd be like a little like pose change and he would turn to the side and then start flexing and grunting again. Well, I look to my right and then I see three of the other dudes doing the same shit, except the guy in the the guy at the very end was splashing water onto his chest trying to get like a sweaty look and i kind of just was just mesmerized by how tall and like they looked like gods i don't know how to explain it like greek gods and they were so nice like these are the most down-to-earth people you've ever seen everything that you see in the ring is just very how do i put this very uh it's very i don't know it's driven by a personality that the wwe gives them if you will it's a really cool experience though to just get to meet these people and actually see behind the scenes behind the scenes for any any show for that matter it's really cool yeah a thousand percent um <clears throat> yeah that's the bathroom story <laughs> and uh i've told you uh i don't know my theory um so I've always got this thing where wrestlers are cooler than musicians, but they're smarter than football players. They're like right in between. And I think you've asked me once about that theory. And my theory is because wrestling is a mix of athleticism and strength, but also um, art and theater. Oh, absolutely. And so it really creates this unique um, brand of entertainment. That's really its own thing. And, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about, but I will. I will mention that there are scripts, and that before, like, like minutes before the match, they are looking at these scripts, and there are given lines that come out. So, I mean, like, everything is pre-existingly planned out for the next month or two, and they they already know what's going down. Yeah, and um, yeah, I told you I've done uh, brief pro wrestling training under. Mm-hmm. A guy yep. by the name of Mr. Kennedy, um, who at one point was going to be like the next big thing for WWE, and uh, yeah, that was that was an experience that was short lived, but that was so much fun. Care to go into it at all? What's that? Care to go into it at all? Yeah, sure. So he opens up this uh, training school here in Minneapolis, and. Uh, uh, a friend of mine who's also a pro wrestling fan had started attending it. Um, he didn't have a job at the time, was cut, you know, trying to f- figure out something, just sort of um, directionless. And the school opened, so he's like, fuck it, I'm going to like, I'm going to go and I'm going to give this a shot just for fun. Yeah. 
So he invited me and I thought about it and I was still finishing my screenwriting degree and I was kind of thinking about it and I was like, you know, I have a, a love for this and I understand it well. And there's a lot of terrible writers in professional wrestling right now. So I understand how to write. I understand how to write stories, how to have payoffs with them. But I also have an understanding of this sport and this art. So I accepted his invitation and I went there one night to tour the facility. And I met Ken. And then I also met another guy, um, Davari, who was also in WWE at one point and also TNA. Um, Nice. So I sat in an office with those guys and they were just like, cool, like, why are you here? And I'm just like, well, I don't know. Here's what I'm thinking. (laughs) And I was just kind of like, I don't really know what I want to do, but like, I'm interested in, I guess, just trying to immerse myself into this world somehow. Um, And I told him about my screenwriting and my love of wrestling. So he was like, you know, he asked some probing questions. Like, why do you love this business? And I told them and I, I went over my thing about, uh, you know, it's like modern day Shakespeare mixed with athleticism yeah, yeah. and violence and there's nothing quite like it. And he was like, your brain gets this, like you understand this. And so we really just hung out for a few hours and it's, it was kind of funny cause I'm sitting here in this office with these guys and I'm like, I used to watch these guys on TV when I was in high school <laughs> and now I'm just like sitting in this office talking shit with them about pro wrestling and it was crazy yeah it was so random absolutely mad and uh so anyways he was like cool you know i think that's a good idea i think that's a cool idea you could make some connections and meet some people and he's like but here's the thing like you know if you're gonna be here like learn how to wrestle yeah and i was kind of (laughs) like what (laughs) but he's like you should train to be a wrestler, like do all that screenwriting stuff, like make those connections, meet those people. He's like, you've got the head on your shoulders for it, but like come here, like do that on the side and like learn how to wrestle. And I was, I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, can do. I just, you weren't expecting that going into it. No, I didn't think about it. So I agreed to it and I passed a sports physical and then, did this uh sign this little like talent contract thing and um yeah so i did you have a wrestling name not at that point do you have one now i cannot share that information (laughs) tune in next week (laughs) no i I was gonna i was gonna if you don't mind i'm gonna branch off you were talking a little bit about screenwriting yeah i just have to tell the audience you have been working on a fantastic piece which i will not name but You've been working on it for two years, a little over three years now, if I'm not wrong, four maybe? Yeah, so this was my first big piece in college, and it's about 40 pages. I wrote it, so this was like 2016, I think. Um, didn't do anything with it, but I loved this. This was like this was like my baby. Like I got the 38-page draft in like 2017, yeah, is what yep, you gave me to read. For sure. And uh, um, I got a lot of compliments on it. It was a story that probably the only story I wrote that I actually like was connected to in any way because it was just a reflection of like so many things and it had so many little influences from like movies that had inspired me and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, 
So I'm like, well, I gotta, I gotta do something. This is gonna be like my f- feature length or like one of them. Like this is the one thing I'm gonna like really protect. Mm-hmm. Um, so my computer crashed, must have been last year or something. I remember you telling yeah. me about that. My heart broke. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, so bad. Thankfully, I had some stuff backed up I needed, but nice. I nice. never had that backed up because it the fi- original files for that were in my school account, which obviously I graduated and they cut off access to that. So I literally had one physical copy of that script left in the world. Oh my God. And I finally finished r- typing it up on like my newer laptop. So you had to go in and rewrite, like looking at the script. Exactly. You had to t- yep. Oh my God. Gosh, that's time. Consuming. And then obviously after taking a two year break from it, I saw some things I wanted to correct. Yeah. And then some stuff I wanted to add. Like I added a newer beginning to it. And so, but yeah, last night I got to page 60. So. Wow. Congratulations. That's always such a good feeling is when you're on a feature and you're like, oh my gosh, we're almost there. We're getting close to the end there. Yeah. And um, so what actor are you in right now? Would you say like what actor are you in writing? <clears throat> so. This is a weird idea, and uh, I don't even know how I feel about it, but after last night, I feel a little better because I got to, like, you know, page 60. So it was a 40-page script, Yeah, obviously. That's not near a feature length, which I wanted it to be. But then I'm looking at these 40 pages, and I'm like, I, uh, it's got act one, act two, act three. Like, everything is there. The story wraps itself up. The... Uh, the main character, they they overcome their obstacles and hit their goal, and like, like I don't, I don't know, I can't extend that another fifty pages. So, but originally I had an idea for this film where this villain, who I will not name, uh, I wanted him to have his own franchise, right? right? So it's gonna be one of my my monsters, so like Michael Myers. Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger. Yeah, yeah. So it was like my first one of those, one of my own creations. And uh, so I had this idea. So I had, I mean, I had this, and then I had like two other films like I wanted to do for a potential franchise way down the line. Yeah. So I'm like, well, what if, what if I could combine those franchise ideas into one one movie whoa i also had this idea where i've wanted to do a horror anthology um where it's like separate shorts and then they like tie together somehow yeah so like uh i mean my favorites would be like trick-or-treat or like the vhs franchise yeah yeah i think that was anthology if i remember correctly yeah, yeah, separate shorts that kind of tie together. That would be that's a really great way to make use of all those scripts. Yeah. So um so I'm like, well, hey, like I've never heard of that or at least I haven't seen like a popular film that's done that where you take a uh like a three-part franchise and then turn that into an anthology right. in like one film. Yeah. Um so that's kind of what I'm was trying to tackle as I started it I was like okay I'm not doing three films I'm gonna do a part a a part b so it's like this this 40 pages is like movie one the next like 40 or whatever is gonna be movie two okay so it's like the original and the sequel in the same movie oh 
and <clears throat> it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I know my film teacher loved to shit on everything I ever did and every idea I've ever had. So he would love to, he, I mean, he would love to destroy this idea too, <laughs> which kind of makes me want to like explore it more. What would film school be without some bougie, over pretentious D bag <laughs> correcting your shit who has no experience to back up his own shit? I, I have so many examples of that. Yeah. No, if for anyone listening, this is, this is this definitely needs to get mentioned like Shout ben, you had the worst <laughs> screenwriting instructor ever i just cannot like criticism needs to be constructive it needs to be delivered with an idea that they're going to get better not that you are utter shit and you will never go anywhere with your like writing don't live uh all right <clears throat> all that i gotta give a shout out to pascal and lauren because they're probably laughing their asses <laughs> off right now about that yeah i don't i don't even want to get into this right now but i'll say um uh this guy lived vicariously through his students to uh redeem his own failures <laughs> <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say about that right now and we'll leave it at that <laughs> and that's okay but hey you, you want to know something um i saw once upon a time in hollywood the other night yeah um tarantino's ninth film mm-hmm. tarantino would fail film school and he would especially fail the one i went to right so it's everything's like- unorthodox but this guy is out of his mind and he's weird and perverted in a lot of ways too but he had his own vision and then he executed it and he did what he was told not to do essentially. And I'd say he's what, maybe definitely a top 10 most famous director of all time. Like if you go all the way back through Hollywood's golden era, um, he just has too many notable titles to not be on that top 10 list. Mm -hmm. So if you look and this applies to anything in history or art or, probably even sports like anything really but like the people who are the most successful are the ones who went off the grid and they did their own thing and uh when people criticized it they just followed through on what they believed in absolutely every single person who's done something remarkable in history has actually succeeded in that path agreed 100 percent. yeah so it's mode i i try to get inspired by it yeah no like i call back to the beginning of the uh, episode and like the hate that we're getting like those two hate messages like i can tell it gives you fire just keeps going just you want to you want to act upon it in a positive way it's good yeah so anyways going back to the script so yeah so okay so we got part one part two this is weird because like i said this ended it's i i like the ending it's pretty brutal like it's kind of wild right and now i'm starting over and now i got to do that whole thing again because it's two movies put into one yeah it doesn't it's kind of unorthodox it doesn't make a lot of sense but i'm like i can tackle this and uh it was all right and i it, it was fun just to start writing some new stuff with these same characters and just add to this but i kind of hit that rut where i was questioning myself but 
last night I was in a position where I found that creative G spot oh, and I go. got the ball rolling and I picked <laughs> it up and I, yeah, I was, I'm just like, so I had these ideas and then now I'm like seeing where it's going to be going and I hadn't hit that point yet. So yeah, yeah, it feels good though. That's awesome. But yeah. Well, so, more, to, more to hear on that script later, I'm sure. I'm actually really looking forward to seeing some drafts again that I get to read. Those yeah, are always you. fun. Um, but transitioning out of that, we should definitely go into, we were, we were talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and if any of you guys listening right now have actually seen that, go ahead and comment wherever what you think of it and how you feel about it. If you had any problems, if you liked anything, if you would have changed anything, let us know. We're very curious to hear. Uh, with that being said, there are a lot of fantastic films coming out in the next couple of months here. And actually in the next week, uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. Guillermo del Toro. Let's talk about that. I am very excited about this one. So I'll give a brief history on scary stories to tell in the dark. So this was a collection of three, um, short story horror books written by Alvin Schwartz and, uh, illustrated by a man named Stephen Gamble. Um, the first one, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, was released in 1981. Then there was more Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. That was released in 1984. And in 1991, we got Scary Stories 3, More Tales to Chill Your Bones. <clears throat> so, I don't know. if Do you remember reading those as a child? No, I oh. have not touched those at all. I'm familiar with them. Okay. Um, well, I'll touch base. So... Uh, any like millennial or Gen Xer is probably going to be more familiar with these books as a part of your childhood. But these were like, number one, it was the illustrations. Stephen Gamel, like, I don't know, they were creepy. They were like, I remember them being like black and white. And then occasionally there'd be like, uh, maybe a splash of color. Maybe I'm just thinking of the covers of them. But it was very creepy and weird. And that's like the one thing that sticks out. Right. And these stories drew heavily on folklore and urban legends when uh, Alvin Schwartz, um, he invested heavily into doing research. He did at least a year of extensive research for like each book. And that was his influence to inspire him to make these like creepy, weird these these books so he's he's actually pulling these things out of like actual folklore and history and kind of applying them into his own creative direction yep there's a lot of short stories to go over so like i don't know if some of them are actually based on real ones but i think i'm under from my understanding he used uh used the folklore and urban legend like themes for inspiration for his own creation okay okay as far as i understand it so these books were really popular throughout the 90s, and by 2017, they sold 7 million copies. Wow. They did a re-release <laughs> of them in 2011 with more... It was The art in the books was refined, so it was more kid-friendly. Oh, it's like George Lucas's special edition. What the hell? So, <laughs> so uh, obviously, that was meant with a hit of criticism from the original fans who, like I said, like we loved that art and remember it fondly yeah so this books the or these uh, set of books are listed by the american library association as some of the most challenged book series of the 90s and like seventh most of the 2000s <laughs> and the complaints typically they just surround the violent disturbing imagery and content of uh 
murder, disfigurement, cannibalism. And uh, I do remember those topics being covered in some of the stories. And as a kid reading that, just like, damn, that's brutal. <laughs> that's fucking crazy. Yeah, You know, what's funny is call back to getting that hate mail. Uh, you don't have to read the book. And if you see your kid reading the book, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. Um, you got to know some of these parents, unless it comes out on a, an iPad, they can read. I don't think the kid's ever going to pick up a book. Oh, yeah. They don't have to worry about the books anymore. I mean, back then, yeah, it was a problem. But they got to worry about their kid taking their iPad while they're getting a haircut. That's the problem. <laughs> All right. Back on topic. Yeah, my apologies. <laughs> In 2013, CBS had acquired the film rights and in 2014 it was announced that a film was going to be done and 2016 it was announced that Guillermo del Toro hopefully <laughs> I didn't slaughter that oh was brought on as the director he's probably most famous for Pan's Labyrinth The Shape of Water maybe Pacific Rim as a director <laughs> yeah yeah um Hellboy. But, yeah, so and then also he's done some darker films too, like Mimic from ninety seven, mm-hmm. Blade, mm-hmm. which I think was nineteen ninety eight, and then the he Hellboy movies. Yeah, he did. No kidding. Yeah. Did he do the second one? I don't remember. We'll have to find I out. I know it was at least the first. It's really neat though. Yeah. Um So anyways, so this is exciting because uh like there's popularity here, there's a lot of controversy and uh, a lot of those stories were just really original and like really dark really messed up especially for kids to read oh yeah and so you have a lot of potential for a film to be made that hasn't obviously in a world we live in where everything is just recycled and regurgitated trash amen to that (laughs) and um also on top of that for you know me and many others this there's a uh, nostalgic factor here too so like we get to revisit these stories when i first saw um i think maybe last summer last fall like that this was going to be coming out i was like i forgot i haven't thought about those books in years like i loved those and uh, now the trailer is out i've seen a ton of movies in the last few months and like every horror movie i'm at this trailer's playing so like I feel like I can visualize and remember it verbatim, but uh, <laughs> it looks really good. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm excited about it. Um, what are you looking forward to? It Chapter 2. I would uh, I would probably say It Chapter 2. The first one delivered. Um, and this is actually something I've been meaning to talk to you about. How does it compare to Stephen King's original It? The first, uh, the first film that man. came out, and let's let's talk about I, chapter one. Okay, hold in on. Comparison to the first, it. Hold on, I'm gonna stop you right there. I almost think this should be its own episode because there's so much to go into there. That actually, you're you're honestly right there. It talks a little bit more about the director and what their choices were. Yeah. So let's hold off on that. We'll do that in the next episode. Copy that. Sweet. Um. Yeah. Um. How about scary stories? What excites you about that? Well, be that I have not read any of the books, Guillermo del Toro can definitely deliver with his just like, let's talk about, I'm more of like a, I'm not really, see, 
Ben's the screenwriter. I'm more of like the technical kind of guy. So yeah. I'm into like the production quality of certain things. And the quality of this film looks outstanding for a horror film. I cannot wait to see the prosthetics and the costumes that are going to be used here. It's going to be fantastic. It gave me chills watching, uh, watching the uh, trailer. It was very cool. Um, yeah. Touching on that. So these stories and obviously a lot of what's going to be in this film is a lot of like monsters, which again, it looks fantastic. And, um, that's something you don't see a lot of in horror, like good old fashioned monsters, especially with the technology and like the CGI and the, uh, they're all going back to CGI these days. And I want to see people do what the original Frankenstein and all those amazing movies did was like, yeah i think there's there's a fine balance probably but Mm -hmm. like gosh um one uh i don't even want to say recent but when i say recent i mean in the last couple decades but like jeepers creepers yeah like i thought that was so effective and so good Mm -hmm. and yeah there's just not a lot of monster movies and um but this has that balance. Like, there's not. It's not. Uh, it's not overdone with uh, computer-generated imagery or anything like that. But it looks good. It just looks really, really solid and tight. They're playing and off of the uh, the old ILM trick, which is to uh, have CG mixed in with practical elements. Yeah, and totally. you can't tell the difference because you don't know what is what. One is yeah. real. One is fake. Make them look the same. No one knows. Absolutely. So that's that's one thing. Um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing some monsters. It's been a while, you know? <laughs> some good stories. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, obviously, this is a book adaptation. Um, I want to talk about that a little bit. So, first of all, like, what do you think about books that are adapted into movies? Do you generally think it works and it's a good idea? What are some good things about it, some bad things? And, like, what are some films that have, like, done it well? Um, I think for horror, the obvious to talk about would be like Stephen King. Yeah. So, He's got the most books by far. Yeah. So I've, I grew up, um, I mean, Stephen King books were always in my childhood home. Um, as an, I mean, I'd read them as a teenager, whatever. Occasionally now I'll read them, but he, I don't know, his, his art, his work just kind of falls flat on me these days. And Oh, it's changed a little bit it's an I've changed. Okay. Okay. Um, so he is so hot and cold with his writing. This is completely my own take and my opinions, but like he's got so many of these ideas and these, like you just feel the wheels spinning and like the dude just spits out stories. Like it's nobody's business. He, yeah. Uh, have you ever heard the thing he does where he's got like probably like, thousands of short stories and he'll like sell the copyrights to film students for like 99 cents for like the shit he likes is never going to use and like oh my gosh yeah like (laughs) uh, he's tons of short story books like he'll just write a short story book on a morning he's bored so like he's got all these ideas but the problem is um as a creator if and this doesn't whether you're an author or a filmmaker or um, a painter or a musician, if you release every single idea that you have in your head creatively, do you think a majority of the art's going to be good? Absolutely not. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but I think he's a guy who just kind of goes with it yeah. no matter what. He just throws whatever he has at the wall and see what sticks. And so some of his books, like he'll have really good stories that come out of nowhere just these random like short story books and like, um, and then it's just, he hits these like really subtle things really well. And then other times I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever read. And then, uh, he adds a lot of like, he's a very twisted individual. Right. You can tell he's got a lot of demons. Uh, I feel you can tell how his alcoholism and his, uh, I think he was big into Coke and uh, a lot of pot too. Pretty big screenwriter stuff back then. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like you can kind of, uh, see how his addictions influence the writing, which yeah. is something I don't, I don't know. I don't of, know if we should praise that or, you know, yeah, I think something to look at. Yeah. Definitely yeah. take note on, but well, look at so, it like this, all these, all these bad yeah. stories. I'm just going to say this one thing sure. really quick here. And that's like the, all these bad stories that come out back to what you were saying about success. He doesn't give a shit because he's Stephen King. He knows that it's going to be a Stephen King novel and whether it's bad or it's good, he doesn't care. He's going to continue to do what he wants to do and be happy about it, knowing that he made success out of it in the first place. Yeah. That being said, there's a lot of weird shit in his books. Like he often goes off on these little, like these like sexual tangents. Like he writes a lot of oh. weird shit. Um, are you familiar with any of the uh, stuff in the, the book? It uh, no, we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll, or the next episode. But it, yeah, he's got a lot of weird shit in that. Um, yeah, you find that in his writing too. And then that's another thing that turns me off because I feel like, oh, he had this weird thought. And so instead of, you know, being like, why would I put this in my story? Instead of rationally being like, oh, that's fucked up. People might look at that <laughs> in a weird way. Let's let's publicize it. Let's uh, yeah, capitalize well, I feel like it. he just throws it into like whatever he's doing or writing or working on. So Interesting. His, his yeah his writing is very polarizing to me some of it's good a lot of it is garbage that's mm -hmm. my opinion but um his books have turned into some fantastic films also some really terrible films a lot of them have just been done for like tv and stuff in like mm -hmm. the 90s um some of those were actually really good some of them were terrible um and then obviously like you know you've got successful ones like it and the shining Oh, yeah. Um, so I think that's probably a good example of sort of, uh, a book adaptation into a film. You're taking one piece of art, you're giving it to someone else to put their own creative spin to create a new, um, art medium out of it that can go really smoothly or really poorly. I think it's right. really, it's, I think it just comes down to a roll of the dice, mm -hmm. um, Fight Club's an honorable mention where the book was fantastic. Hold and on, he wrote Fight Club? Fight Club was a book. I've only seen the movie. I've okay. only ever seen the movie. Fight Club was a book. The book is fantastic. The film's fantastic. Uh, so that's a 100% positive adaptation. Like, it went straight from the book to the movie, no problems. In my opinion, you'll have fans that are like, the book's better. Um, so well, there's people the, are like, oh, the movie's better. Those but are like, just the people that read the book and yeah. are proud of it to the point where they have to rub it in your yeah. face. But like, yeah, but I'd say that was, that's the perfect example of it being executed to perfection. Nice. Cool. I think to kind of go back to the topic here, which was like 
screen adaptations of books in my opinion it depends on the genre you can't just like you can't just uh i guess what i'm trying to say here is lord of the rings is fantasy and bringing tolkien's image to life was quite the challenge but we all look at peter jackson and i mean for the lord of the rings at least we kind of glorify his work there not the cg but the story was well executed i mean we don't talk about tom bombadil if anyone's ever read that we don't talk about the loss of that character but i mean that's just an example of fantasy being a great genre for screen adaptations especially with you know the way tolkien wrote his fantasy uh, horror uh, the horror genre definitely has great screen adaptations and being that you can write a lot of great books. I mean, okay. Uh, as a kid, the only, you're going to laugh. I know you're going to, you're totally going to laugh. Goosebumps. Those were like, I only read Goosebumps books uh, for my horror books. Cause that's okay. as much as my younger self could handle. And I, I, we all know how the screen adaptation of that film turned out. You didn't have to watch the movie to know that it was utter shit. So I think that it's a hit or miss, and it really does depend on the writer, the genre, and who they chose to bring that that word to life. Yeah. Um, hey, I enjoyed the, those scoops. <laughs> I enjoyed Goosebumps as a kid for a period. Also, I'm going to admit this. Uh, oh, boy. I'm not, I'm not ashamed. <laughs> uh, the recent Goosebumps movies fucking fantastic seriously oh yeah I okay loved them. then i, I have missed them i have misspoken and i am being ignorant and i need to go back and watch these and they're like targeted towards like 14 year old girls like yeah they're they're not uh they're not gory nothing like that these are the ones with jack black right yeah yep. okay okay they're just so well done on all levels and um what about it what about it like caught your attention the most was it like the monsters, the story, the like adventurous uh, aspect? So it's like all that, and they were able to pull that off, mm-hmm. and it was entertaining without. God, what's the word? Um, you limit yourself. You stifle yourself creatively with a PG thirteen or a PG rating, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so normally, I think it's so unrealistic the stuff you see in those films that. It's just beyond dumb. And obviously, like, if you're eight years old watching it, like, you might think it's cool. Yeah. But somehow they managed to make it entertaining and digestible. And it's like, I don't know. You ever find, like, weird comfort or, like, comfort in weird things? Uh, Always. The Labyrinth, David Bowie. It's so weird, but I find so much comfort in that movie, the puppets and everything. Yeah, go on. Yeah, and I mean, that's in life in general, just like the weirdest, most odd things or places you can find like comfort or like, I don't know, an at-home feeling. There's just something weird about it. Right. So like I get that way with certain movies and that's one of those, um, those two, that's one one of those things where it's like I can watch it before bed and like drift off to it. And my reactions to it are like, this is visually entertaining and I feel good. Yeah. And that's it. There's nothing more, nothing less. I'm going to have to check it out again. I, uh, I cannot, I, I mean, just, okay, here's, take it from a, um, someone who just is used to a lot of action, a lot of like, you know, a little bit more serious tone in film. They see goosebumps and the trailers for it just 
it puts you off so much. I think the <laughs> yeah, marketing exactly. was done terribly. I, I, I hope we can both agree that they marketed that film poorly. Totally. Uh, Slappy's really fucking annoying too. Like <laughs> I'll, I'll admit that, but like, and who, uh, who plays, uh, someone in that, I heard someone plays, uh, the actual writer of the book in that film, Jack Black, Jack. Oh, okay. So Jack Black is R.L. Stein. Stein. Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to check it out. And Definitely have to get it. That look, was also something where like, I was like, what, why? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. And then the, it just delivered yeah somehow like man yeah i wish that the word about that would have gotten out that's unfortunate yeah i don't know any other uh off the top of my head i don't know any other screen adaptations that i can think of that successfully okay I'm, i'm missing a really obvious one here so all the universal monsters from the like i i think it's the golden era of hollywood i think that's it would be considered part of that so all of those books, um, The Invisible Man, Dracula, Frankenstein, The Wolfman. Oh, yeah. Those all were books from the 1800s. Those were adapted into films in the early stages of Hollywood. And really, that jump-started. Um, I mean, there is horror films that went back to, uh, like, the 20s and stuff like that. Like, there's really old stuff, but... Those are the ones that really brought that into the mainstream. Like brought that cultural, like yeah. using culture to inspire their story kind yeah, of Yeah, and they element. were like, those were huge films and everything, you know, started from that. It was like the Beatles and their influence on rock and roll. Like oh, yeah. it all started somewhere. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, see, that's interesting though because... In that case, you literally have something being adapted a hundred years after the fact that was like written. Yeah, like that's really interesting. Some people don't even know that that was originally written eight, in, you know, in the eighteen hundreds, like two hundred uh-huh. years ago or some crap like that. And it's just, it's it's really cool if you and anyone, of course, like I was mentioning earlier, people who always read the book, you know, the books for these things, they're always so proud of the fact that they were the books for these things, but you should be it's really cool that you got the opportunity to understand the story for what the original writer thought it was and then see how someone else uh kind of perceived it their uh, perception of the story yeah totally um i read frankenstein and dracula when i was a young kid okay i loved it frankenstein is my favorite story to date period yeah trumps all other stories Uh uh-huh and i uh um yeah, there's a lot of little things too. I, I uh, that influenced my writing from it. That book, there's just something about it, and I still have a copy. It's in, Mary Shelley, right? Yep, correct. Okay. okay. Bram Stoker wrote Dracula. Okay. And so, then I, I mean, I must have been like six when I read that. Wow. So shortly after, I saw the Universal movies, and I loved those. I geeked out over that stuff. And yeah. You know, they had franchises and then they were rebooted decades later and, or maybe not decades, but they kept rebooting them and they had new actors. So right. the original Frankenstein, I believe that guy's name was Boris Karloff. Um, and then he did a few and then there is someone else. Bella Lugosi was Hollywood's Dracula. Okay. He was fucking awesome. He was a stud. Like he killed it. Um, Lon Chaney Jr. was the Wolfman, and 
Did they do the Invisible Man? They did. I d- can't name the actor of that. Okay. Um, so, do you think they'll ever touch base on these again? Funny you mentioned that. So, uh, oh. a couple years ago, I think it was. I do not have the exact dates or anything. So there's announcement that they were doing a reboot of the Universal Monsters, right? No kidding. So they're rebooting everything, right? Right. Star Wars, Jurassic Park. <laughs> uh, they're rebooting Men in Black. Pretty soon they're gonna like be doing a reboot of uh, everything. Yeah. Absolutely everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, until the Asian markets overseas stop spending money on our shitty reboots and franchises, <laughs> it will never stop. Because oh, once that does stop, these studios will probably go bankrupt because yeah. of the size of their budgets and the amount of domestic profit they actually generate. Oh, gosh. Uh, a all lot of, of, the, all of, of their the prof- sales yeah, is a lot in of Blu-ray. The, exactly. It's, yeah, it's DVD, post uh, merchandise. But a lot of the theater profits are uh, um, come from the international market, not the domestic. So interesting yeah yeah i know i know for a fact that i mean like i don't horror is not necessarily always my genre but it's definitely always like in uh, action and sci-fi and with star wars and endgame and all of these other films that have come out recently all of the box office comes from a different country it's just from china yep. or something like totally. that that being said i like this idea and i'm kind of surprised no one's tried to do this yeah. recently especially with all the other reboots coming out you'd think that and then the, the technology and you know i think there's a lot of new eyes on horror so like it started i think mm, i feel like zombies are a big thing so like mm-hmm. uh, the whole walking dead phase that yeah. came over us in 2013 yeah, exactly and then i think from there um cinematically it i think that's got to be a top five grossing film of all time oh yeah and so and then you've got Bloomhouse, who's making fantastic movies whatever they put their hands on pretty it just much. turns to gold yeah and then uh uh jordan peele mm-hmm. um uh, have you seen us yes i have okay us is great highly recommend yep um so yeah so like these trends kind of like recycle so it kind of surprises me no one's tried to like redo that because it's like you know the original frankenstein was so good but it's like you got this guy in shoulder pads with with an oversized <laughs> like sport coat on yeah and like a paper mache forehead <laughs> and like just walking around all stiff it's like think of think of that like right now if the right people the right director oh yeah the right actor like how badass could they make Frankenstein look? And what also surprises me is some people have done this over the decades, little here and there, like some B movies. Yeah. And try to do a Frankenstein. What was the I Frankenstein? I think it was. Um, Not it was familiar. Maybe like five years ago. Um, no one's ever been able to make it work. And that surprises me because, like, all you would have to do, like, follow the original, like, verbatim. Yeah. Maybe add some stuff to make it a little more interesting. And then cast like Dolph Lundgren as Frankenstein. Okay. Right? Yeah. Or like Dave Batista. Oh, like these are good. Ca- Why aren't you making this? <laughs> someday. Yeah. You got to get on and, the casting directing board and uh, make these decisions here. Yeah. No kidding. Um, yeah. And 
freaking uh, I mean, man, there's a ton of potential there. You know, and with the, and with so like a big part of Frankenstein is he uh, he's in a windmill that burns down. That's like mm-hmm. I think the first film. It's a big part of the story. I don't remember what happens. I think he like rescues someone from it, and then they like accuse him of trying to kill this person he rescued when like he does this heroic thing right and all these people turn on him and they judge him just because he's like ugly and he's a monster but he's actually more human than all the the humans there yeah yeah which is kind of the awesome theme i like in that story yeah but like just imagine like a badass like wooden uh, windmill like out in Holland or something like that. They get to burn yeah. just straight down to the ground. Right. Oh, and then gosh. you just see like Dave Batista's Frankenstein and then this violent mob just like beating him with like these like wooden uh, two by fours and like trying to like stab him and stuff. Like yeah. come on. Why why has nobody made that happen? With, with the proper art department and you know a good use of effects like visual effects I think that Today there are more than a million filmmakers out there who could really kill it with that. Uh, with that, uh, going back to the Universal monsters, I would love to see. I would love to see the Invisible Man come into a really fuck with your mind kind of film idea. Have like someone who is good about uh, psychedelic movies kind of play into that one. Well, I've got good news for you there. What's that? But I gotta bring up some bad news first. So the very first film that got this. Uh, reboot was the mummy with tom cruise <laughs> um <laughs> sorry my you, ball, i shouldn't you, have left <laughs> so, film is art my bad yeah. sorry you couldn't pay me to go watch that <laughs> um like they did a brendan fraser movie i don't know must have been at the end of the 90s was entertaining but like yeah um, featuring dwayne the rock johnson as the scorpion king which ended up getting its own spin-off Oh right, right, yeah, and that was that was like one of his very first acting gigs. Oh yeah, I, I, I honestly think that Brendan Fraser's The Mummy reminds me of that Indiana Jones off-brand kind of idealistic adventure. They're, but it's it's literally the exact same thing. Like he's literally a ripoff of Indiana Jones. Yep. Brendan Fraser's great though. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, he's, I have he's nothing under, against him. He's awesome. He's underrated. Exactly. I would love to use him again. He's got such a humorous attitude. Like, and honestly, like that movie wasn't that bad. It was, no, it did everything it needed. It was entertaining, but uh, it did not age well, like effects wise. That's just my opinion. But my point is, like, the reboot with Tom Cruise just sounds terrible. I heard it was terrible. And but then again, Goosebumps pulled through. I heard it was terrible, so <laughs> we might need to go give this one a try. Oh, my goodness. Um, but, so The Invisible Man. Um, they are doing this one next. And the good news is Bloomhouse. Jason Bloom has his hands on this. Okay, cool, cool. Um, Who had the mummy? I don't know. Well, they're going to learn from their mistakes. The numbers <laughs> yeah. the numbers are telling them to. Someone who thought it would be good to cast Tom Cruise in it. Well, it was the stunts. They needed someone who would legit... Like, they didn't have a good VFX budget. And they're like, oh, well, this guy will do it for real. Let's yeah. sign him on. Oh, yeah. Area 51. So. September um, 20th. It's yeah. coming up. Have you checked the event page for you know a what? number? I haven't. I haven't. Okay. We should do that quick. Let's get an exact number to see... How many awesome, fun people are going to go raid 
Um, so what are they doing? They're doing this. They're basing this ambush on a style of running made famous in an anime film, right? Naruto running. Okay. And so this is supposed to stop bullets. How? <sighs> Everything's just a fucking meme. It's all satirical. It's all fun and memes until someone actually gets government attention and then people actually believe that this is something that could be achieved through i i don't know what else to say except if you go to area 51 you're gonna get fucking murked like there's no way you're coming out of that alive actually um there's already a lot of attention around the base right now and they're on from what reports have been telling lately is that they're on high alert and high security alert so they have extra patrols going on and a lot of other stuff just to ensure that no one crosses those boundaries so if i'm not wrong just besides the uh the the border to area 51 and remember you've been there ben um besides that border there there are there are there's like this invisible border all around the desert basically and you don't know when you cross it but if you step foot past a certain point you've uh, tripped a motion sensor you've tripped a uh something that makes them aware of your presence am i not wrong yeah and uh the air force has come out and addressed this and uh basically they're like don't do it don't you fucking do it <laughs> just they're gonna leave it at that like just don't so, you dare you won't get your alien <clears throat> alien what one yeah. one development that's uh taken place since the last time we've talked about this i i talked about rachel nevada i've got the little alien in um yeah nearest town they totally capitalized on the uh, ufo stuff yeah so this town has a population of 54 people it's very small out in the desert and the lady who owns this alien little alien in it's spelled all weird like bunch of ends yeah and it's ends. so it's like ale and then it's in like in alien like, oh i see so, yeah it's weird. kind of a weird little thing uh-huh. um but yeah, so Wait, you said 54 people live there? Yeah, total in that town. And that's the closest town in proximity to Area 51. So, but she has what, like 10 hotel rooms and <laughs> and this is where the diner is. Yeah. Where you get like the alien meat and the alien burgers or whatever, <laughs> whatever they call them. Someone told me they're like, actually, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk about food. <laughs> um, so... She got like 10 motel rooms and then she rents out like some camping land and like she's fully booked. Right? Yeah. As people are calling her like asking about the raid and where to stay. So like the nerves are up of the handful of people who live in this town because if these people actually show up, they're going to ruin the environment. Like they're going to trash it and it'll look like shit. And right. They'll leave a bunch of garbage. Think of it like Woodstock. Exactly. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a festival. I, like I feel like they're gonna hire like concert venues and stuff. So one thing I read is I think they're called Deja Vu Entertainment. They are like the biggest company providing female entertainment um, in the Vegas area. So they've committed to sending what they call it. It's called the Stripper Mobile, and they're sending <laughs> like tw- like twenty strippers out to this event to entertain uh the people uh 
anime rushing Area 51 it's and the it, aliens. It's a modern day Woodstock. It's a gathering <laughs> to change the world. Can you imagine how much drugs are going to be there? Like, and right next to a government facility. <laughs> like, you don't give them any more of a reason to arrest you. <laughs> Maybe that's their best bet. They'll be like, let's just like, let's spray something on them. And just, <laughs> these are the just, worst people in the world who showed up. Let's take care of this problem. Yeah. Like let's spray LSD mist on all these people <laughs> or like whatever they have there. <gasps> oh, you'll see aliens. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> oh gosh. There's just everyone passes out the next morning, so they have this gigantic military vehicle. It's got like a plow on it. And they're just, <laughs> just scooping <what>? people up. <laughs> they're just plowing bodies. They're oh, like, oh gosh. See, we don't have to. We don't have to worry about missing out on anything because so many. We live in such a beautiful time, where if anything is to happen, Instagram, Facebook Live, we'll see it first. We'll see it right then and there. We don't have to pay for a plane ticket to go to Nevada. Someone will be Instagram live streaming this. But. uh Anyways, Nevada's beautiful. The desert's beautiful. Um, don't fuck it up, all you freaks out there. Yeah, pick up your shit. Seriously, don't leave any dirty crap behind. No one likes that. Unreal. Totally. Um, yeah, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening to people. I think there's something in the water. Um, <laughs> it happened to Florida. This is evidence. We were talking about this. Describe the tap water in Florida. Have you ever... I mean, I don't... I. It gives you Giardia. I don't know how else to describe <laughs> it. It's not drinkable. I lived there for two and a half years, and investing in a Brita filter saved my life, quite literally. You would... I, I honestly think Florida Man exists... Okay, yes, bath salts, but also the water. <laughs> like, the water really isn't that great of a quality. And uh, uh, southwest or southeastern Florida, there was recently, a, like, a giant uh, water uh, main water line break or a breach or whatever and it was just pouring fresh water out into ponds and lakes and the ocean basically and uh there was a lot of towns in uh southeastern florida with a uh, without water for a while yeah and i i honestly i don't know what to say except for the fact that florida being surrounded by as much water as it is and also having a lot of lakes and having one of the most popular attractions in the world disney world you'd think that they'd have some way of getting clean water into their tap system but they don't uh, the average IQ in America right now is uh, 98. So maybe there's a plan. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> but it starts with the water. It starts with the water. <laughs> Florida was the experiment and it worked. Uh, oh boy. So you drink the tap water. And I, I made the, this mistake when I visited you last time because <laughs> I didn't know any better. I should have warned you. You warned me after. And I mean, you saved my life probably. But uh, one more drop before it became lethal. <laughs> but so this water comes out of the tap. I mean, so I think water should have like one ingredient: water. <laughs> this water had like I I felt like I could taste like six different things in there, like a little bit of like Drano or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> something. Um, and <clears throat> so you know, like think of like the worst gnarliest like cup of like gas station coffee you've ever had where it's just like they take like 
all the old used coffee grounds and then they dry them and then and they reuse like, reuse them. them. <laughs> oh god. And then like how your insides feel after like that's what the water does to you. Pretty much. Pretty um, much like dropping a uh like dropping a little BB down a bunch of metal pipes and just hearing it <laughs> clunk around. The water uh the water has been tested multiple times cuz this is like obviously like a lot of people talk about the quality of their water and I uh I know that a lot of people there um, end up investing in like their own welling system because it's just smarter to have your own source of water rather than to rely on the state for it. Absolutely. And I think that same experiment is going on up here because people are getting dumb and very weird and very aggressive. Um, so yeah, I just hope we don't have a, a Florida 2.0 on our hands. <laughs> if up anything, here in the it's, great north. If anything, it's Los Angeles. It's honestly, it's just western Florida. Yeah. So LA is my experience is the cool people in LA are really cool. Like they're really chill and down to earth and fun. Mhm. The bad ones are really bad. Like, they're just douchebags. Like, they're just the worst. And nothing in between. It's one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And to clarify, douchebags, you can still be super rich and successful and be a completely terrible, just be the worst person on this planet. And, I mean, and you can also be homeless and be a terrible person. So, it kind of falls into that yeah. range of people. For sure. Class does not matter. Yeah. No kidding. Every people in general there's good and bad in all of it but florida's a special case see <laughs> my problem with both of these places is that the population is just so overwhelming and i mean like i might sound like an old man for saying this but like i would never in a million years permanently choose to live in florida or la well you know it's proven that uh people go mentally ill in these places where they're so congested. Um, they've done experiments with rats where they've done <clears throat> simulations like that. Like what you see in a city like, right? and rats start murdering each other. They oh go fucking god. nuts. Oh my God. Yeah. But, I totally agree with that. I mean the air. Okay. What's an analogy here? The Florida water is to the Los Angeles air or something sure. of that nature. The air quality is un real and the la river is no longer a river it is just cemented over garbage <laughs> it's yeah, be, pretty toxic it's uh be easier and instead of cleaning it just let's just barricade concrete over it yeah that'll that'll fix things and but there's still trash flowing through that river now <laughs> but there are some things i do like about la and in small doses uh, yeah yeah there's a little bit of something for everybody out there but uh anyways yeah people people are getting weird everywhere people are angry they're aggressive they're losing their mind so let's just end on that note and everyone out there like deal with your problems and just be nice to people don't end up like florida don't end up like florida remember kindness starts at the heart and you can spread it all the way to the other end of the world Anyways, thank you for bearing with us for our second episode. I am Ben. I'm Ian. This is Animalitia. Peace out. Peace out. Peace out.